Today in Science from Wired. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off US versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous US China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is the Spoken Edition of Wired. Fighting a wildfire in Texas. Building a network to connect 40 million people to the internet. Cutting pollution with chainsaws. Hear Chubb customers tell their stories at chubb.com slash podcast. And stay tuned after the show to hear how a family moved to Napa and created one of the largest private wineries in the world. Science says fitness trackers don't work. Wear one anyway. By Robbie Gonzalez. Personal technology is getting a bad rap these days. It keeps getting more addictive. Notifications keep us glued to our phones. Auto-playing episodes lure us into Netflix binges. Social awareness cues like the seen-by list on Instagram stories enslave us to obsessive aroboric usage patterns. Blink twice if you've ever closed Instagram only to reopen it reflexively. Our devices, apps, and platforms, experts increasingly warn, have been engineered to capture our attention and ingrain habits that are, it seems self-evident, less than healthy. Unless, that is, you're talking about fitness trackers. For years, the problem with Fitbits, Garmin's, Apple Watches, and their ilk has been that they aren't addictive enough. About one-third of people who buy fitness trackers stop using them within six months, and more than half eventually abandon them altogether. As for that guy at work whose Fitbit appears to be bionically integrated with his wrist, it's unclear whether wearing the thing actually makes him more fit. Most studies on the effectiveness of fitness trackers have produced weak or inconclusive findings. Blame short investigation windows and small homogeneous sample sizes. In fact, two of the most well-designed studies to date have turned up less than stellar results. The first, a randomized controlled trial involving 800 test subjects, was conducted between June 2013 and August 2014. The results, which were published last year in the Lancet Diabetes and Endocrinology, found that after one year of use, a clip-on activity tracker had no effect on test subjects' overall health and fitness, even when it was combined with a financial incentive. In a perverse twist, volunteers whose incentives were removed six months into the study fared worse, in the long run, than those who were never offered them at all. The second, an RCT out of the University of Pittsburgh conducted between October 2010 and October 2012, examined whether combining a weight loss program with a fitness tracker, worn on the upper arm, could help test subjects lose more weight or improve their overall health. The results, published last year in the Journal of the American Medical Association, 
showed that subjects without fitness trackers lost more weight than their gadget-wearing counterparts, a difference of about eight pounds. And while it's true that weight is not a great proxy for health, the findings also showed that the test subjects with fitness trackers were no more active or fit than those without. All of which is, frankly, pretty embarrassing for companies that manufacture fitness devices, not to mention disquieting for the people who wear them. And yet, none of this means you should ditch your fancy new fitness tracker. Have companies like Fitbit and Garmin been slow to incorporate sticky features into their products? Yes, unequivocally. By 2013, the year Apple brought attention and slaving push notifications to its phone's lock screens, and around the time the Lancet study was getting off the ground. Fitness trackers and their accompanying apps had only just begun to leverage theories from psychology and behavioral economics. But today's products are different. The fact is, most existing studies on fitness trackers, including the two I spoke of, hinge on devices that are several years old. Think glorified pedometers that don't connect seamlessly with the supercomputer in your pocket. And while peer-reviewed research on the latest wave of workout gadgets is still sparse, signs suggest newer wearables are finally becoming more addictive. For starters, wearable fitness trackers themselves have turned into wildly capable machines. It's no longer enough to measure steps and active minutes. Features like sleep tracking and 24-7 heart rate monitoring have also become table stakes. So too have the beefy batteries necessary to make features like continuous heart rate detection worth a damn. Fitbit's newest motivating timepiece, the Ionic, can go four days between chargers. The Phoenix 5, Garmin's flagship fitness watch, can last up to two weeks. If it's comfortable, it's waterproof. The display's always readable, and it's got a long battery life. There's less excuse for people to take it off, says Phil McClendon, Garmin's lead product manager. For technology companies, few metrics matter more than engagement. Application developers call it time-in-app. Online publishers, like Wired, call it time-on-site. Wearable manufacturers are all about that time-on-wrist. The software's gotten better, too, along with user experience. Collecting information is one thing. Presenting it in a way people find comprehensible, motivating, and actionable is another. Consider something as simple as a reminder to move, another feature ubiquitous among newer fitness watches. Buzzing people once an hour, regardless of their current activity, is annoying. If my device tells me to get up and move while I'm on a hike, it's going off a cliff. Instead, most wearables now tell you to move only if you've been sedentary for more than a predetermined period of time. And, according to Fitbit at least, those reminders work. People who would get six reminders to move a day, on average, after a few months, they get about 40% fewer reminders to move, says Shelton Yoon, Fitbit's vice president of research. That's a very detailed example, but I feel like it's such an important one, because it means the user's innate behavior is changing. Of course, Fitbit would say that, but outside experts agree that fitness tech is improving. There are two things, specifically, that apps and devices are actually getting better at, says University of Pennsylvania researcher Mitesh Patel, who studies whether and how wearable devices can facilitate improvements in health. The first is leveraging social networks to stoke competition or foster support. Researchers led by Penn State psychologist Liza Rovniak recently showed support networks to be highly effective 
at increasing physical activity in unmotivated adults. But Patel suspects the leaderboard format, a popular way of promoting competition by ranking users, fails to inspire anyone but those people at the top of the charts, who probably need the least encouragement anyway. The second is goal-setting. We know that people need to strive for an achievable goal in order to change their behavior, Patel says, the operative word there being achievable. The problem with early fitness trackers was that they all used the same goal, step count, and they all set the bar way too high, 10,000 steps. But the average American takes just 5,000 steps a day. Asking her to double that figure isn't just unrealistic. It can actually be discouraging. But today's fitness wearables tailor their feedback to users' individual habits. Rather than tell you to take 10,000 steps, Garmin's Insights feature will nudge you if it senses you're moving less than you usually do on a given day of the week. Fitbit now allows users to set and track personalized goals related to things like weight and cardiovascular fitness. These are just some of the ways wearable manufacturers have begun borrowing theories from psychology and behavioral economics to motivate users in recent years, and there will be more to come. They're constantly adding features, says Brandeis University psychologist Alicia Sullivan, a researcher at the Boston Roybal Center for Active Lifestyle Interventions and co-author of a recent review of fitness tracker motivation strategies. Now that these devices are small, powerful, and packed with sensors, she says, expect most of those features to show up on the software side of things. That's where these companies are most able to leverage the data they're accumulating toward interactive, personalized information you'll actually use. It may have taken them a while to catch up with the Facebooks and Netflixes of the world, but our fitness devices are finally poised to hijack our brains and bodies for good. This podcast was made possible by Chubb. Hear how this family created one of the largest private wineries in the world right now. We started making wine in 1948, one bottle at a time. Today, we produce nearly 20 million cases a year. Chubb has helped us grow for the past 30 years. They helped us prevent equipment problems during harvest and provided guidance when we started exporting internationally. Now we're working with them on cybersecurity. My grandfather taught me to make a wine that over-delivers. Chubb over-delivers. Hear more stories at chubb.com slash podcast. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.